Hey, your Bible is with you. I'm going to ask you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew there in front of you. This morning, all I want us to do as we come to this passage is unwrap this gift that God has given to us. A gift that did not come wrapped in paper or bows, but a gift who came wrapped in human flesh, born of a virgin, available to all who will believe. And in this gift that God has given to us, he has given us all that we need. We can only take a peek this morning. It's all that time will allow us. But just a peek will show us how wonderful, how amazing this gift is. Just a peek will show us how much we need this gift that God has given to us. Then it will be up to us to decide if and when and how we will use this gift. So if you have your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read again what Tony has already read for us. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. This is the good news of the Word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now once again that you would add your blessing as you promised to this reading and hearing of your word. We pray now, O Spirit of God, that you would give us understanding of the truth contained in your word, that you would expose to us, reveal to us our great need for your truth, and that then by your Spirit, O Lord, you would help us to apply the truth that we hear from you this morning, so that our lives may be transformed, so that we may be the people that you have called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You Be seated. If you look again in verse 6, it says there, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Unto us. That is me plural. A bunch of me's together make an us. And so the first thing that we need to note this morning as we peek at this gift that God has given to us is that it is a very personal gift. It's in this verse, you know, we begin to unwrap the package. The details are going to follow, but we just open it and we see there, it's like seeing a monogram. I don't know what it is. It may be a handkerchief. It may be uh, something else. But there are my initials. This gift is for me. Unto us, a child is born. So we have to put out of our minds in this moment all the meaningless gifts that we have received in our lives. A gift that was given to you as a wedding present. A gift that came to you wrapped in wedding paper. A gift that came to you addressed Craig and Kathy. And yet in the bottom of that box, under the tissue paper, was a card reading, Merry Christmas, Bill and Mary. Regifted. We were regifted. Ouch! Bill and Mary received a gift that meant nothing to them. 
And so they passed it on to us. We didn't fault them for that because it was one ugly gift. We didn't even know Bill and Mary. They were probably friends of Kathy's parents who just politely sent us a gift. So we weren't offended. But we have to toss those gifts and those feelings aside. And we've all had them. And we've got to think about the gifts that we have received in our lives that mean so much to us. Somebody took the time to get to know us. Somebody knows what we like. And so they gave us a gift in accordance with that. Somebody listened to us during the course of the year and what we said. And they noted the things. We said, oh, I would like to have that. And we go to the tree on Christmas morning. We open a gift and there's that gift. And you think, wow, that person listened to me. They watched me. They thought of me. This is the best gift, one of the best gifts that I ever received. See this beautiful pocket watch? My father gave me this gift in 1993 when I started preaching at my very first church. This was his 1955 Hamilton Railway Special. And so my dad thought it would be very nice for me as a preacher to have a good-looking pocket watch to pull out while I was preaching. I could use it to keep track of of how long I was preaching. That, of course, was back when I cared about how long I preached. (laughs) And I don't don't care anymore. And you know that. And my father gave it to me with a kiss. Keep it short, stupid. Uh Aha, that's preacher humor. That part's not real. I made that up. But, But the rest of it is true. And how I felt about receiving this personal gift from my father, that's the perspective that we have this morning as we listen to everything that we're going to hear about this passage. Unto us is given this gift by Father who loves us, who watches us, who is always observing us, who knows our every need. Hagar was a woman in deep distress. And she was running away from her troubles, of which there were many. And she was at such a low point in her life that she was going to take her life when she had this encounter with God. God showed up. God came to her aid. And Hagar said, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's a name for God. El Roi. The God who sees. That's our God. His eyes are on you. His eyes are on me. He watches us. He sees us. And so from this God who sees you comes this gift specially for you. And God's gift is perfect because God knows us better than anyone else. Even if you were to make a list for yourself, these are the things I need most in my life. God's list would be better than your list because God knows you better than you know yourself. Psalm 130. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Who could know us better than the one who created us? And so what God gives to you and me this morning, this gift, meets our greatest needs. Needs we may not even realize that we have. Needs that we may not acknowledge that we need. But we need them. So how? How does this gift from God meet our greatest needs? Well, first, look in verse 6. He is our wonderful counselor. This child, his name will be called, he'll be known for being a wonderful counselor. And if God says to us here in Isaiah, 
as he predicts the, the coming of his son, if he says that his son will be a wonderful counselor, it's because you and I must need a wonderful counselor. We don't like to admit that, especially in church. Because this is where we show up and we're all very well put together. That is our goal. That is our aim. If you admit that you need a counselor, people might think that you are weak. People with emotional issues go to counselors. People with mental issues go to counselors. If we admit we need a counselor, people might begin to speculate about our lives. Hmm, why do you need a counselor? Is there sin in your life? (laughs) Yeah. And so the church becomes home to all these elephants. All these elephants in the room that no one will acknowledge. Addictions of all kinds. Depression, eating disorders, infidelity, anger, bitterness, loneliness, broken relationships, on and on the list would go. And just because we won't acknowledge them, just because we won't admit we need help for them, doesn't mean that they are not present. There is no doubt that all of us, every one of us in this room, need counsel. We need someone to advise us. Someone with whom we can consult. Someone with whom we can find purpose for life and devise a plan. And that's exactly what this word counselor means. We have in this gift of God someone with whom we can talk. Someone with whom we can communicate. Someone to work with us on our life, show us our purpose, give us a plan, and help us stay on that path. It's communication, interaction between God and us. Listen to this interaction between David and God. It's in Psalm 32. You can turn there if you want to. Psalm chapter 32. This is David writing. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, shh, no, I, I don't need help. I, I don't need a counselor. Shh. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. Here's the openness. Here's the transparency. Here's the, I need a counselor. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. (sighs) Taken away. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You're my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. That's what the Lord will do. And then the Lord says this in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. There is our counselor. And no one can do this for us but the Lord. No one can counsel in this way. No one can open our minds to understand. God says in this verse, I will instruct you. And the Hebrew is a little stronger than just passing on information. God says, I will will make you understand. Spurgeon writes in his commentary, man can instruct, 
God only can make us understand. That's why we need this gift, this wonderful counselor to instruct us and to give us understanding. It's what God alone can give to us. As the twelve disciples once said to Jesus on an occasion when thousands of others were deserting Jesus, he disappointed them, he wasn't who they thought he would be, so they left him to go in search of someone who may be that thing. The disciples stuck with Jesus. And they said this, where else will we go? Where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we need those words. We need those words of eternal life. We need the counsel that only Christ can give us. And so he's given to us a wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Better than any other counselor. So much better than any other counselor. It's hard for us to comprehend his wisdom, his counsel. Better than anyone else. No one can compare to him. He's a wonderful counselor. We need that counsel. We need counsel that is true. Someone to speak truth to us. Isaiah 11, 12, speaking of the coming Christ, says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's who our gift is. A mighty, wonderful counselor. John 1.14 says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. John 1.17 says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels, you read over and over Jesus saying, I tell you the truth. A hundred times, more than a hundred times. And then, of course, Jesus says these words, I am the truth. You and I need someone who will speak truth to us. And that's hard to find. Someone who will tell us the truth, especially about ourselves. But that's what we have in Christ. So you need to talk to your counselor. And so do I. About a lot of things. We need to talk to him about a lot of people. But we need to talk to him about ourselves as well. Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, cry out in the night, As the watches of the night began, pour out your heart like water. In the presence of the Lord, pour out your hearts like water. You may not think you need to do that. You may not think you need to pour out your heart before the Lord. But the Lord says that you do. We all do. If we didn't need to do it, he wouldn't ask us to. If we didn't need a counselor, he wouldn't give us this gift. The question is for all of us to answer. Do you really want counsel? The question we have to ask is, do we really seek truth? Do we really want to know what our counselor has to say about that area in our lives? Are you prepared to make the hard choices and the life changes that come when your counselor speaks truth to you? Do you really seek the counsel of the Lord. There's an account in the Old Testament. It's a great story. God's people have entered the promised land. Joshua is leading them. And city after city is falling before them as they take possession of the promised land. The next city on the list is Gibeon. And so the Gibeonites have to act quickly if they are going to save themselves. And so this is what they did. 
the Gibeonites sent a delegation to Joshua. And this delegation pretended that they were from a country far, far, far away, so far away that Joshua and God's people would not have any interest at all in them. And this was part of their ruse. They, they loaded donkeys with worn out sacks and old wineskins. And the men wore patched sandals and, and patched clothes. And they came with dry and moldy bread. And they said this to Joshua. We have come from a very distant country. Make a treaty with us. We've heard about the fame of the Lord your God and we want to make a treaty with you. This, this bread of ours. It was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But now, see how cracked they are. And our clothes and our sandals are worn out by our very long journey. Well, the men of Israel sampled their provisions. Yeah, moldy bread. Yuck. But, Scripture says... They did not inquire of the Lord. Now let me ask you, what do you think is likely to happen when God's people do not inquire of the Lord? Is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. So Joshua made a treaty with these people. A few days later, he discovered that this delegation actually is neighbors living very close by. But because he had signed that treaty, Joshua and the people of God were not allowed to expel those people from the land that God had given to them. All because they failed to seek the counsel of the Lord. And that's so us. God has given to us, to you and to me, this wonderful counselor. He's given us a wonderful counselor because we need a wonderful counselor. But we look at a situation, we sample the provisions, and we say, well, This looks like a reasonable thing for me to do. But we never bother to inquire of our wonderful counselor. We fail to get down on our knees and ask God for his wisdom. We fail to ask him to open our eyes to see what we might be missing. To open our minds to something outside of what we think is reasonable. Or we come to him with our minds already made up about what we are going to do. And we are the losers. Because every time we do that, you and I make bad treaties. We make treaties with the wrong people. We make treaties with the idols in our lives. We think we can have peace with that with which we are not to have peace. And so our lives are impacted. And so are the lives of the lives of those people that our lives impact. God has given us a wonderful counselor because we need him. Someone who understands how we're wired, how we think. And who better than the one who created you? Who better than the one who has such an interest in you that he keeps track of the number of hairs on your head in any given moment the Lord knows that number? That's the kind of counselor we have in Christ. He doesn't have a selfish agenda. He's unique in that. He's not seeking anything for himself. If he were in it for himself, he would have never left heaven in the first place to come to earth. Would he? If he were going to put his interests before yours and mine, he would have never gone to the cross in our place. And if he were all about himself, 
the Lord Jesus would not right now in this very moment be at the right hand of God the Father doing what? Interceding for, praying for us, even now in this moment. He'll counsel you with all wisdom because he wants you and he wants me to make it. He said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's because that is who he is and what he is. Now it's up to you whether you'll use this gift that God has given to you or not. You decide whether this gift is suited to you or not, or whether you think, you know what, I'm going to re-gift Jesus to somebody else who needs him more. Me, no, I don't really have a need for a wonderful counselor. That's up for you to decide. It's up to you to decide what place you'll put your wonderful counselor on your list. You have an issue, who do you go to first? Your friends? Oh, we love drama. Family? Okay, well, as soon as I hear what Dr. Phil has to say, then I'll go ask Jesus. Jesus says, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You want truth in your life? You listen to Jesus. God has given us each other as a gift to share one another's burdens, to talk with, to laugh with, to cry with. But we, each other, we are never to replace Christ. We're never to come before him. Christ is our wonderful counselor. God has given to us because all of us desperately need him. I want to move on. Secondly and lastly and much more quickly. Well, wait a minute. Let me pull out my watch and see what time it is. Oh, we got plenty of time. It's 1130. Oh, man. I never know what time it is. All right. Jesus is named Wonderful Counselor. He's also called in this passage Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. In Hebrew, the term is El Gabor. And any time this term is used in the Old Testament is an indication of absolute deity. And so God gives his son this name, Mighty God, as another affirmation of the deity of Christ. And since Jesus, the Messiah, is Christ, he has, as God, he has the power and the strength of God. And that's what makes it so encouraging for us this morning. That God has coupled El Gabor, Mighty God, with wonderful counselor. So for those who are brave enough and bold enough to pour out their hearts before the Lord, for those who are brave enough and bold enough to seek the counsel of the Lord, knowing that it may require difficult choices and a change in lifestyle, God has also given us El Gabor, mighty God. And here's what the gift is. The Hebrew El and El Gabor could be translated the strong one, the hero God. Okay, El, the strong one, the hero God. To that is added the adjective Gabor, El Gabor. And Gabor means strong, mighty champion. And it emphasizes the power and the strength of El, which is already strong. And so we could say this is overkill on God's part. El already means strong God. And Gabor means strong God. So it's like God is saying to us, this gift is, that he's giving to us is the strong, strong God, Christ, the mighty El, God's gift to us. And so he has nothing less than the omnipotence 
of God himself. He's powerful enough to wrap himself up. Can you imagine God containing himself in the body of a baby and coming to earth? And yet that baby is the mighty God, El Gabor. And so as we look in the manger, we realize something very, very important about the power of mighty God. It's made perfect in weakness. As an infant, no place to lay his head, but in a feeding trough for animals. As a man, nailed to a cross and forsaken by those who followed him. How incredible that God shows his greatest power in what appears to us to be the greatest weakness. The Jesus of the manger, the Jesus of the cross is the mighty God who's come to do battle with the devil and to conquer death by dying. And when he appears the least powerful, the least powerful, a baby in a manger and a man hanging dead on the cross, that's when God is most powerfully working for us. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five: The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And how many times do we think of the story of Paul and that thorn in the flesh, how he pleaded with God, take it away, it's making me weak. God says, no, the thorn will stay, but here's my grace. And it's sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Hebrews 11, the Christian hall of faith, recounts the faith of the lives of people who conquered kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. It says that these people were people whose weakness was turned to strength. Their weakness was turned to strength by El Gabor, mighty God. And so when the world peeks into the stable, they peer over the edge of the manger and they see only poor parents of a poor baby. They are deceived because El Gabor, God himself, is lying there. And so too, listen, you and I, We're deceived when we look at the counsel from our wonderful counselor. When we read who it is that he calls us to be and what it is that he calls us to do. And we say, oh, it's impossible. I can't. I'm, I'm too weak. It won't work. Even in weakness, mostly in weakness, we trust in the power of Christ. El Gabor, he is strong. He has power. And he gives that power to you and to me. Power to do what he counsels and instructs us to do. Mighty God power to love those in our lives that seem unlovable. And we all have those people. Power to forgive those who seem to us to be unforgivable. Power to trust, again, those who seem untrustworthy. Power over fear. Power over addiction and anger and worry and lust and depression and guilt. Power to preserve, persevere in the midst of suffering and mistreatment. Power to overcome discouragement and disappointment. Power to restore relationships 
that have been broken, even when it seems the hurt is too deep to ever heal. Power to cleanse us from sin, even when it seems that that sin has such a grip on us for so long and for so often that it will never let go, will never break free. No. El Gabor power. Power to give us hope and joy even in the midst of difficult, heartbreaking circumstances. Power to change our attitudes from grumbling, complaining people into people of gratitude and thanksgiving. We could go on and on with what we need change for in our lives. The, the, the point is that real, lasting change in our lives comes from the power of Christ. El Gabor. So, let me ask you again. Do you trust unconditionally not only the power of the Lord, but the way in which He chooses to use that power in your life? Because the power of El Gabor at work in us doesn't always follow our plan. I'm sure you've discovered that. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God. For it is God who works in us to will and to act according to His good purpose. We're on a journey. It's leading us toward greater obedience and greater holiness and ultimately greater joy and greater peace. But the journey is not necessarily the one that we had mapped out for ourselves. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing or why He's doing it, but it is God who works in us, in you and me, to will and to act according to His good purpose. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. What joy should fill our hearts that Christ has come, come to be God's perfect gift for us. The one who tells us the truth and who gives us the power to live out that truth. Joy that when we do, our lives will be ordered rightly. Our relationships will function as they're supposed to. And the striving and the effort that marks so much of our lives, striving, 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 trying to get that square peg in the round hole, that will cease when we live by the counsel of God and the power of God. So you seek the power, the counsel of God. You seek the power of God and see how your life changes for the better And indeed, you will be filled with joy that Christ has come, this perfect gift from God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks now, once again, for Christ, the perfect gift. Lord, you know exactly what our needs are, beginning to end deepest, deepest level of our need, you know. And you have made provision for those needs to have them met in Christ. Father, that is the truth. That's the truth that you proclaim in your word. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would, through the power of your Spirit, realign our lives where they need realigning this morning. Where we flippantly fail to seek your counsel. Because we think, oh, we're strong, we've got it under control, we don't need you on this one, Lord, we'll handle it. That's wrong thinking, Lord, that needs to be corrected. We need you and your wisdom and your counsel always, always coming before you. Asking that you would show us what we don't see. And help us understand those things that we miss. We need your counsel. We need your power, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive me, all of us here. For doing so much of what we do in our own strength. Again, because we think we've got it covered. Because we think we can handle it. We can't, Lord. We need your strength. And we have your strength. It's what you give to us. Father, I pray that it would be the commitment of our hearts in these days before Christmas to ponder this. You, the greatest gift we've ever received. You would cause us to faithfully seek your counsel and to live out what you tell us, what you show us through the truth of your word, through your power. So we commit ourselves to you and to your care, giving thanks and praise, filled with joy that you have come to be this perfect gift for us. In Jesus' name, amen.